Father in heaven, as we come to study the book of Daniel once more, I pray that you'd give us wisdom and understanding. And most of all, I pray that you give us um, a heart that would be willing to follow you the, through the things that we're going to be learning from this book. Father, I pray for guidance and especially the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth. So I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6 is another story. And we're beginning to see the importance of the stories in Daniel. This story has no less importance than what we're going to be looking at in the previous, than the previous chapters. But we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 6 and by God's grace we're going to get through it in an hour. So let's start with verse 1. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 6 and starting with verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Note this. This is now the kingdom of what? Medo-Persia. Daniel chapter 5, we saw the fall of Babylon. And now Darius, who is the king of Medo-Persia, sets Daniel over the kingdom as one of the three presidents. But it says of whom he was what? First. All these men are free, but Daniel's a captive. You have to understand that. He was taken captive. And even if he wasn't from Judah, he was a captive taken from Babylon. And now he is under the Medo-Persian government. But yet the king realizes that there's a sort of an excellent spirit in Daniel. And so Daniel is set first above the three of the three presidents. And you begin to see why jealousy would actually set in. Okay? Especially if you've taken a captive, Amanda's captive, and now you set him over the affairs of the whole kingdom. Especially if he's the first. So keep that in mind as we move on. Verse 3. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. There you go. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. So Daniel was pretty much the what? The prime minister of the state. Okay? He was the first in command next to the king. He was a prime minister. Verse 4. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find none occasion nor fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Now, why were the presidents and princes jealous of Daniel? Because of the position that he had? Remember, Daniel didn't polit politic for the position. He didn't say, oh, choose me, king. <laughs> um, I'll be a good president. He, he didn't politic for that. The king actually set Daniel over the whole realm. Why? Because an excellent spirit was found in him. So, the presidents and the princes try to find fault in him. They're jealous. Now, you've got to understand, jealousy is a very wicked device. It's a very... I mean, it sets aside all reasoning. So, when you have jealousy in your mind, you know, a person is jealous. They set aside all reasoning capabilities in the mind. Why? Because the jealousy takes over the mind and controls them. And so we need to learn to be content in little things. 
that's the first thing you got to understand. You know, maybe you don't have the same position. You may be saying, oh, why, why, Lord? Why am I not in that position? I'm a better preacher than him. I'm a better speaker. Or my English is better or I have more knowledge in the Bible. Why does he, why, why have you chosen him? You know, but despite all that, we got to realize that number one, God knows what he's doing. And to be jealous in such a situation, number one, it puts aside our reasoning powers and it brings us to this point where we will actually might betray or find fault in a person when there isn't even anything to find fault in. So jealousy is a very dangerous sort of feeling to harbor in your heart and your mind because it destroys the whole mind. But notice this, even though the kings of the presidents, the presidents were jealous, what happened? It says they could find none occasion nor fault. I mean, look, it's easy to say with a friend, you know what, that person's blameless. It's easy because love looks over many things that a person sometimes falls short of. But who here is saying they couldn't find any occasion or fault against him? Who is it? Who is it that's saying we could not find any fault in him? His enemies. Now, it's one thing to have friends saying this person is perfect in everything that he says and he does, his accounts, his finances, everything. His whole life is perfect. We can't find anything against him. But it's another thing to have your enemy say, you know what? We've looked at this person and we hate him, but yet we can't find anything wrong with him. That's a powerful statement. I mean, can that actually be said of our own lives? Can your good friends say that of you? Not even your enemies. Can that, your good friends, the ones that know you well, say that, you know what? There's no fault in this man or woman. Leads us to an understanding that Daniel led a perfect life in the sight of God and also in the sight of man. The life that the 144,000 ought to be living. So once again, we're seeing another characteristic come out. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 5. Let's go there. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 5. Just as the princes and the presidents could not find any occasion against Daniel, in the same way, we need to live such a life. And I'm not talking just spiritually. I'm talking about every aspect of our life. If our whole life were to be put under investigation, could it meet the test, survive the test? Revelation 14.5 And in their mouth, speaking of the 144,000 mentioned in verse 1, and in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So the 144,000 are without fault before the throne of God. And that is exactly the life that we ought to be living today. So we're beginning to see already at the beginning of this chapter that Daniel chapter 6 has a great relevance in the way that we ought to be living our lives and especially the end-time application of it. But it says here that they couldn't find any fault concerning Daniel against what? The kingdom, concerning the kingdom. So in the last days, people are going to try to scrutinize our lives 
in regard to the laws of the land. And we ought to be living. <laughs> we should be the best citizens on this earth, okay? I know, I mean, personally, I fall short of that too. No speeding tickets. You're obeying the laws of the land in every respect. That whatever you come across, nobody can find even an ounce, an inch, or any bit of fault in you. So it's not just spiritual. It's not. But you've got to understand the power of this testimony because the enemies are the ones that are saying it. <laughs> the ones that are wicked, the ones that hate him, are the ones that say, you know what? I can't find any fault in this guy at all. Possible. But then, verse 5. Verse, verse 5 of Daniel chapter 6. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the what? The law of his God. So now these men have gone from a political situation and now they're entering the realm of what? Religious. So what are we beginning to see here? Combination of religious and political. What are we going to expect towards the end of this chapter? Persecution. But why did they choose that? Why religious? Why did it say we knew we were able to find some fault against Daniel religiously? Number one, they knew one thing about Daniel. He was not a hypocrite. He lived up and not only was he a good citizen, but he lived up to the dictates of his own conscience. He was not a hypocrite. And by that, he lived by the principles and the convictions that he found in the Bible and also the law of God. A life that you lead, people should see. Even the secular people, those that are non-Christian or non-Adventist, they should know that we are faithful to God in everything. And we will not swerve one inch or one bit from the convictions that God has placed in our path, from the understanding or the revelations from the law and from the Bible. So they knew that Daniel would be faithful. Verse 6 and 7. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and thus said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. Verse 7. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the what? Lion's den. Now notice this. In verse 7 it says what? All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, so all of them. Now in Daniel chapter 3, we saw all the what? Political entities of Babylon come together. And in a great degree, this represented what? The whole world. So in verse 7 of Daniel chapter 6, we're seeing the whole world come together again. But what are they doing? They haven't said, King, um, can we make a decree? What do they do? They said, we've consulted together to establish a royal statute. You know what, King? We've already done it. All you need to do is sign it. So the whole world, or all the people, have come together to establish a statute. In regard to what? That whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days. It's a religious decree. What we're really seeing here is that we're seeing the setup of the image of the beast in Revelation chapter 13. Coming to Revelation chapter 13, I want to show you the, the application that we have from Daniel chapter 6. 
the application that we have from Daniel chapter 6 and verse 7, where we see all the political entities coming together and how this represents the whole world. Revelation 13, starting with verse 14. And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Now notice with me in verse 14. It says they're deceived, and it says which he had power to do in the sight of the of the beast, but then it says what? Saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast. So who's the one that makes an image to the beast? It's actually the whole world. To them that dwell on the earth. So we're seeing that the people are the one that are responsible for setting up the image of the beast. Just as in the same way we go back to Daniel chapter 6 and verse 7, we're seeing that all the princes of the kingdom, they come together and they are the one that have already established the decree all they want the king to do is sign it, set his seal upon it, his mark. But what we're seeing here is that it's a firm or a religious uh, decree. So we're seeing here, what? Combination of church and state, religious and political. And we're seeing once again, at the end there of verse 7, we see the result. He shall be cast into the den of lions if he does not obey the law, the decree. So, <clears throat> just in the same way as the mark of the beast has church and state, it results in persecution, death decree. So does Daniel chapter 6. So it has a lot of application to the end time and what we're going to be looking at here. Now let's move on, verse 8. Now O king established the decree and signed the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. And this is giving us a characteristic of the Medo-Persian Empire. It establishes a decree that cannot be changed. Infallible laws. Infallible laws. Now, who is the only one that can make infallible laws? God. So what we're seeing here is a characteristic of the Antichrist. Setting up of infallible laws or laws that cannot be changed at the end of time. They're trying to be like God. They are, are exhibiting characteristics of the Antichrist. Now I want to show you a story found in Matthew chapter 14. Very similar. It has an end time application as well. Gives us understanding about infallible laws as well. But why does the law become infallible? Infallible, pardon me. Matthew chapter 14. Let's start with verse 1. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 1. At that time Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus, and said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. So Herod hears about Jesus, and he says, This is John the Baptist. And he's been risen from the dead. Why? Because it's about to describe what happened to John the Baptist. Verse 3. 
For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him, and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. So why was John the Baptist put in prison? For Herodias' sake, his what? Brother Philip's wife. Why? Because Herodias was committing what? Fornication, adultery. With his brother's wife. And so John spoke out, and of course Herodias was not happy and says, I want you to put that man into prison. So Herod put John the Baptist in prison for Herodias' sake, whom he, Herod, was committing fornication with. Are you beginning to see the application here? If not, I'll come back to it. Verse 4, For John said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. So therefore John was speaking against the fornication of Herod and his brother's wife, Herodias. And as a result, he was put in prison. Verse 5, And when he would have put him to death, that he feared the multitude because they contend, counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Now what do you need in order to dance? You need music. We study that in Daniel chapter 3. Watch this. Whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. Verse 7. Now verse 8. And she being before instructed of her mother said, Give me here John Baptist's head in a charger. Verse 9. And the king was sorry nevertheless for the oath's sake and them which sat with him at meat. He commanded it to be given her. And he sent and beheaded John in the prison. So we're seeing here because why would Herod not turn turned the oath because of what he had given, what he had said, and also for the sake of those that had been sitting before him. So he was, what? Proud. He didn't want to turn around the oath, so he went and killed or beheaded John the Baptist. But why was John the Baptist in prison? Because he cried out against the fornication of Herod and Herodias. And in the same way, we need to cry out against fornication that will take place in the future. We'll be put in prison but what will cause the persecution to actually come? When the daughter of Herodias, or could I say the daughters of Babylon, dance before the king. And then will the oath or decree be set up and the request kill John the Baptist. So we're seeing to a great degree, uh, degree the application that, we, that is shown forth here is that when will the persecution come? Music, Daniel chapter 3. Now we're coming to Daniel chapter 6 for the oath's sake. So combination of music and an oath that cannot be changed will result in a death decree. Once again, we've seen the application of music and its importance in the last days. <clears throat> Let's go back to Daniel chapter 6. So they knew that they had Daniel because why? He would follow the law of God. And can the same be said of us today? Will you follow God despite whatever will come? Despite a decree that will come in the future? You have to make that firm in your mind now. Not when the decree comes. It's too late when the decree comes. Verse 9. Wherefore King Darius signed the, the writing and the decree. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed 
and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Now let me ask you a question. Is it a sin if we close our windows to pray? No. Is it a sin if we stand up to pray? No. Is it a sin if we don't pray three times a day? Then why did Daniel do what he did? Why did Daniel, when he knew the writing had been signed, open his windows, pray aloud on his knees, so that us could hear and see? Why? It was his custom, yes, but it says here in verse 10, as he did what? A time. It had become what? Habit. This is the key text of Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. This is the key text. Why? Because when it comes to the time of trouble, if we're not doing things by habit, if this is not ingrained in us so much, we're not going to do it. Our mind is going to start reasoning. Well, we should go into the closet. But Daniel didn't think about that. It doesn't mean that we don't be smart. We just go and do whatever we want to do when the Sunday law comes around. No. I mean, you don't go and mow the lawn on, Sunday, on, on the Sunday when they have set the law that no, no man should work. But go and do some work for God. Missionary work, you know. There needs to be intelligence in that regard. But really, what I'm talking about is our relationship with God here. It ought to be so firm that no matter what happens, we're not going to change. His spiritual commitment was not altered. He was steadfast, solidified, in his fidelity towards God. So, that's why in these times of peace, we have to prepare now. Because the times of war are coming, that so quickly will the events take place that we will not have time to reason out and think what we should be doing in regard to our commitment to God. That has to be done today. God, I will follow you no matter what. Let's move on. Verse 11, Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Now, who are these men in verse 11? The presidents, the princes, what were they representative of? The whole world. So as Daniel kneels and prays before his God, he's made a spectacle to the whole world. And people realize his fidelity towards God, his commitment towards God. But the people only knew, and I mean all the whole world only knew, when what? The decree was passed. In the same way, only the whole world will know when the decree for the National Sunday Law, Sunday Sacredness, is passed. And it's going to become clearer as we move on. But this is what we're seeing here that's being established. The whole world will only know about the true God and the fidelity of His people only when the decree is given. Now, how how did they know that Daniel was praying? He was probably praying out aloud. Or people were actually sent to spy on him. So, you know, we... You know, greatly to a very large extent, we're afraid of human eyes. But yet we don't realize that God and Satan and his devils are standing there watching as well. 
Ellen G. White says, if only the veil between the seen and unseen could be removed, we would see what sort of struggles and controversy is taking place. But, you know, even before this, before people are prying and spying in our private life, our fidelity towards God has to be established. Why? Because we see the things that are not seen. We understand that there's a God in heaven who's writing everything down that sees all. And then that way we order our lives. But many of us, we only order our lives because we're shamed into it or because people are watching. We become hypocrites. But that's not the way it ought to be, huh? Let's move on. Verse 12. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within 30 days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the lion's den? The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which, what? Altereth not. So they remind the king that this religious law has been passed, and the king says, Yes, according to the Medes and Persians, whose law, which, what? Alters not. Establishing again and affirming the characteristic of the Medes and Persians. Their laws do not change. Babylon, its characteristic that stood out above everything else, was idolatry. Medo-Persians, the thing that stood out from them was laws that do not change, or infallible laws. Continuing on, verse 13. Then answered they and said before the king, that Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petitions three times a day. What did they say here? King, you made this decree, and you know what? That man does not regard thee. They make it like a personal insult to this king. And what happens in verse 14, Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. You know, in these last days, political leaders may set or pass a decree, but the three angels' message may convert them. And we're going to have political leaders on our side, or on God's side, not our side. So there are going to be people in high places that God has set there and ordained that will be converted in the last days and they will be set on delivering His people. And you have to understand this, that the, the king, although he knew about Daniel, remember how, um, to what point was he familiar with this man who he had conquered from Babylon? to the point where he knew that it was an excellent spirit in him. Although Daniel was in captivity, now whether it be captivity of the Jerusalem of the Israelites again, or whether it be from Babylon, he's still a captive in the hands of a Medo-Persian king. But yet the king is still able to see that Daniel has an excellent spirit in him. So much so that he realizes that Daniel is not a man that would betray his trust. Just like Joseph in Genesis but yet we have to have that same sort of life in every aspect of our life. And I really want to emphasize this. This is going beyond this prophecy, but the sort of character that we have to have in the last days. The way that we ought to be prepared so that how people can see us. This is how a pagan king saw Daniel. But of course we know that from this text that the king realizes the motives of the presidents and the kings, uh, the princes, and he sets his heart to deliver Daniel. 
Verse 15, Then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, Know, king, that the law of the Medes of the Persians is that no decree nor statute which the king establisheth may be changed. So, although the king wants to change, he can't. The whole world, per se, is against him. He says, you set up this decree, now you can't change it. Bring out the characteristic of the Medo-Persian law again. Whatever has been established, they won't take back. Just the same way that we saw in the instance of Herod with John the Baptist. For his oath's sake and for those that were surrounding him, for the princes that he had around him, he could not change. So this story that we read in Matthew 14 has a very close link to Daniel chapter 6. Moving on, verse 16. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And so from this essence, we knew that not only was Daniel living such a life, but it was a life that was witness to those in higher powers. That they could see that there was a true God that <coughs> served, that was served by Daniel. And he knew that he would be delivered. Verse 17, And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. And then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were there instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. So this king, pagan king, he's fasting for God's people. Now who does Daniel represent again? The 144,000. Now these characteristics are going to come out again. But yet at the same time, we're probably given an understanding that this king, who could he represent? Jesus. I'm not saying that he does, but he could. Why? Because who is interceding for Daniel through this time of trouble? Jesus Christ. <clears throat> now, why did God allow Daniel to be thrown into the lion's den? Why? What was the purpose? Number one, it may be for Daniel himself, yes, but the greater purpose above it all is that God's name may be glorified amongst men. You'll see at the end of this chapter that God's name is truly glorified amongst the whole world. So why does God allow us to go through trials and difficulties and afflictions? Number one, yes, is to perfect Christian character. The Bible's clear about that. The trials of our faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. So it's clear, number one, that the trials are there to, for us to perfect Christian character. But really, the second one is that God's name may be glorified amongst the heathen. That God's name may be glorified for those who don't know Him. And so we saw this in Daniel chapter 3 as well. How did the three angels' message go to the whole world when they were thrown into the fire? And who did that fourth being or fourth person represent? Jesus Christ, but really there's a power of the fourth angel, Revelation chapter 18, that came down with power and great glory and led the whole world. So in the midst of trial and persecution and afflictions, the message will go to the whole world. We're not going to get the message to the whole world in times of peace and prosperity. We aren't. 
no, I, I guess no matter how much great zeal that one man has, it's not enough to take the message to the whole world. But when God's people are put under the fires of persecution, then and only then, the true people will shine out and then the message will go to the whole world. That God's name may be glorified amongst the heathen. And so we're beginning to see a bigger picture here. A repeat of Daniel 3. But this time, Daniel is by himself. Before, there were three Hebrew boys. And you know, God (laughs) tests us in this way. Sometimes He allows us to go through trials with our friends. We have one another to depend on. But in Daniel's case, he was all by himself. We don't know where the three Hebrew boys were. Maybe they might have been slain. God might have allowed them to be slain. But we know that the trial that Daniel went through was by himself. Individual consecration to God. Do not follow God because your friends are. Because everybody will be tested individually. And we're going to go through that time. So we've got to know for ourselves. You need to go back to search your heart. Why are you following God? Why are you doing what you're doing? And if your friends all forsake God, will you still follow Him? If all your friends chose to fall, fall down and bow down to that golden image of Daniel 3, would you still stand up? Even if your pastor may do it. Whoever... Whoever you respect on this earth, you still need to have that individual consecration. You need to know in your own mind and set in your own mind why you are doing what you're doing, why you're following God. Verse 19 and 20. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, Is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? So in the morning, the king comes out and he rushes over to see whether Daniel's still alive. And of course, it sounds like a hope, a cry of desperation. But what does he call Daniel? He says, O Daniel, what? Servant of the living God. And if you cast your minds forward in Revelation, where do we find this? In Revelation chapter 7. Servants of the living God. Revelation chapter 7, let's go there, and verse 1. Revelation chapter 7, and verse 1. And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. What we're seeing here is a coming of a lion's den. Verse 2. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Servants of the what? Living God. But who are these people? Verse 4. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed an hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. So what or who does Daniel represent? The hundred and forty-four thousand. There we go again. The same characteristics are brought out. Daniel represents the hundred and forty-four thousand. He represents those group of people that will go through the lion's den or the time of tribulation or trouble. 
will not see death. Why? Because it's sealed with the seal of the living God. And you remember, when they closed that stone, after they threw Daniel in, what did they do? The princess and the king sealed it with a signet. That seal versus the seal of the living God. What is the seal of the living God? Sabbath versus what? Sunday sacredness. Same issues are coming out over and over again. But this time, we're given more information in regard to the character of Daniel. We saw in Daniel 5 that Daniel came out and he just interpreted the verse. I mean, not the verse, the writing that was on the wall. But here we're seeing more the fidelity and the character of Daniel and how he stood firm to God. In chapter 5, we saw the fall of Babylon and why it fell. But now we're seeing what sort of character God's people ought to have during the fall of Babylon. <clears throat> Come with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. The same picture is given here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and starting with verse 4. Second Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 4. So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. So Paul here is praising the church of Thessalonica when they're going through persecutions and tribulations, but they have what? Faith and patience. And then it says in verse 5, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer. So what is this telling us? That God is going to permit trials and persecutions, tribulations to come upon us. He's going to allow it. He is not the author of it, but He will allow it so that we may be worthy to enter into the kingdom of ahead. So God is refining our character during this time as well. But and then it says in verse 6, we see in verse 5 the righteous judgment of God. Then in verse 6, seeing it is a righteous thing which God to, with God to recompense tribulation to them that what? Trouble you. So not only that, but after you've gone through the persecutions and tribulations, God is going to recompense or pay back those who gave you the tribulation. Do we see the same concept? Yes, in Re Revelation 13. Come with me there. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 10. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Verse 10. At the end there it says, Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Almost an echo or a mirror image of what Thessalonians was saying that we need to have patience and faith to go through the time of persecution and tribulation, but God will recompense the tribulations that have come upon you back on those that gave it. And we see this picture come out also in Daniel chapter 6. <clears throat> you see, because Daniel kept the law of God, because he went through the time of trouble, because he went through the lion's den, and came out unscathed, only then can God say, look, now I have permission to destroy the wicked. 
Why? Because the acts, the wicked acts of the, the wicked, the acts of the wicked have already been shown forth. And now because before the whole world that they've seen it, they are witness to what God can now do. He's going to recompense the troubles that he put upon his people. Verse 21. Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lion's mouth that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. In this point, Daniel is able to vindicate himself. He couldn't vindicate it before. Only after he comes out of the lion's den is he able to vindicate himself and God. You see, in this time, time now that we live, we cannot vindicate God's character. Vindication of God's character can only come forth after we've gone through trouble. Only after our faith has been tested. Then we can say, God is faithful, we have done you no hurt. You see that? It's only the time of trouble, only after faith has been tested, only after love has been tested, can vindication take place. Before that, you can't. Because you cannot prove anything. Only after time of trouble, trials, persecutions, tribulations, can your vindication take place. And the same one, and we notice this, it says God, in verse 22, my God has sent His angel. The same angel that appeared in Daniel chapter 3 is the same angel that came in Daniel chapter 6. Jesus Himself was right there beside Him. What does this teach us about God? God's going to allow us to go through the time of trouble, but yet at the same time, He'll be standing there, right beside us. In Prophets and Kings, page 545, PK, page 545, it says, Heaven is very near those who suffer for righteousness' sake. Christ identifies His interests with the interests of His faithful people. He suffers in the person of His saints, and whoever touches His chosen ones touches Him. The power that is near to deliver from physical harm or distress is also near to save from the greater evil, making it possible for the servant of God to maintain His integrity under all circumstances and to triumph through divine grace. We're given the promise that when we are going through trials and persecutions, when we are afflicted, God is afflicted as well that God is right there beside His afflicted ones. So we're seeing progression. Daniel 3, three Hebrew boys went through it. But Daniel 6, Daniel by himself this time. Everybody, although Daniel was not present and people ask, where was Daniel in Daniel chapter 3? It's not fair. But yet at the same time, Daniel had his own trouble, his own trial. Everybody individually had to be tested. Let's move on. Verse 23. Then was the king exceeding glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. There you go again. No manner of hurt was found upon him. Just as the three Hebrew boys came out without smelling like smoke, without their hair being singed or their clothes being blackened one little bit, so Daniel came forth from the lion's den without even having a scratch upon him. He probably lay on the 
lions, use them as a sofa or something. Nothing. No hurt at all. And you've got to understand, lions hunt at night. Lions hunt at night, not during the day. During the day, they sleep. It's during the night that their eyes are, their big eyes, they're able to see in the dark, whereas the animals of the day cannot. So hey, they have that advantage over everybody else. And that is why Daniel was cast in there at night. The time when the lions were wide awake. But yet he came forth, not being scathed at all. Not even a scratch was upon him. Same way God is going to preserve us during the time of trouble. Psalms 91. You will not even dash your foot against a stone. The promises are there. And most of the promises, as you read them, they're really promises for the last days. Why? Because there's going to be a time of trouble such as the world has never seen. Mine has never imagined what's to come. That's why we need these promises. Verse 24, And the king commanded, that, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives, and the lions had the mastery of them, and break all their bones in pieces, or ever they came at the bottom of the den. Those men that what? Accused, which had accused Daniel. The word Satan means adversary or accuser. And in Revelation 12, we know that he is the accuser of the brethren. So in the same way, what we're seeing here is bringing us all the way to the third coming. When Satan and sinners will all be totally destroyed. Because Satan is not destroyed during the millennium. He's not. He's still alive. It's only after the millennium that all will be thrown into the lake of fire. So what we're seeing here is a picture of the end of the millennium, the third coming. Now come with me to Revelation chapter 17 and verse 16. A similar picture is also painted here, but this is before the second coming. Revelation chapter 17 and verse 16. We read this verse in relation to Daniel chapter 5. But it's clearer now in Daniel chapter 6, verse 16 of Revelation 17. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. Giving us a clear example, those that hand out the persecution are those that are going to what? Receive it in the end. The kings of the earth are going to turn around and persecute the whore. They receive the same result, the wrath of God. And then it says that in verse 24, when they were cast into lion's den, that also the children and their wives were cast in with them as well. Now there's many applications we get out of this. But you see, in the same case as Sodom and Gomorrah, where all the families were killed, why? For, for the sake of the heads of the house. They refused to listen and hearken, and so God killed the whole, or destroyed the whole city. In the same way, the propensities and the, and the way the families built up, the children have no hope. Not that there's evil per se in that sense, but God knows the hearts. And so the family unit is all destroyed. Just in the same way that Achan and his family was killed. Why? 
because the man of the house is the one that decides the destiny of the family. Most of us are men here. Take note of that. You're the one that holds the destiny of your family in your hands because God will bring trouble upon not just you, but your whole family. And then it says, and break all their bones in pieces or ever they came at the bottom of the den. If you come with me to Daniel chapter 2, similar wording is used here. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 45. Break all their bones in pieces. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 45. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain and the interpretation thereof. What was that stone signifying? It was second coming, but also at the same time third coming. Why? Because it's a kingdom that shall never pass away. So in the same way, when the, when the princes and the, king, uh, princes and the govern, governors are thrown into the lion's den, this is signifying not just the second coming, but also the third coming. Again. And verse 25. Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth, Peace be multiplied unto you. So, as a result of the persecution that Daniel came out of, message goes to the whole world. Again. What we have to see over and over again, from Daniel 3, from Daniel 6, the message, the gospel I'm talking about, in Matthew 24, 14, it says in the gospel of this kingdom shall be preached in all the world and then the end will come. The only way that the gospel is going to be preached in all the world is when persecution comes. Why? Because we have, quote-unquote, Christian people preaching the gospel today, but in their hearts, they're the devil themselves. It's only when persecution comes, when faith is truly tried, then the true gospel will be preached and then hearts will be converted and then the gospel will go to all the world. We've got to understand this. We are never going to bring in the second coming until we ourselves have a true and living faith. And we can be called the servants of the living God. Sealed with the Sabbath. We need to be part of that 144,000. There's no other way we're going to be able to get through the time of trouble we're not. Now, God may be merciful and lay some of us to rest. But if anything, Sister White tells us we should all strive to be part of that number, the 144,000. We have to, because there's no other way to bring the persecution that will bring the gospel to the whole world. She says that if you rightly study the books of Daniel Revelation, there'll be a revival of primitive godliness and then the fires of persecution will be revived as well. And that's why we're studying the book of Daniel. But friends, it is pointless to study the book of Daniel and you're wasting your time by coming here if you do not want to order your life like Daniel. You understand what I mean by that? By the study of Daniel, you ought to change according to the way that you see the Bible's teaching you. But if you're not, you're wasting your time. Why study? So it's not just simply study, but the application of the books of Daniel Revelation that will revive 
that primitive godliness that was so alive during the time of persecution of the 1260-year period. But only we're willing. You see, there's only one side at the moment. I'm teaching. But the true test comes if you want to apply what you're learning. Let's finish this. Verse 26 to 28. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth. Who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So we see that not only does he go beyond Darius the king, but he goes into the reign of Cyrus as well the Persian, who became a greater king than Darius at the end of time. But really the summary of this is we're seeing the time of the National Sunday Law and how God's saints will be tested and the fidelity or the commitment of faith that we need to have during that time. But before we close, I want to repeat the concept of repeat and enlarge. I shared this at the beginning. But you see, prophecy is built upon that which we've already studied. History repeats itself, Ecclesiastes 1, Ecclesiastes 3. Nothing is new under the sun. So what we're seeing here is it's being repeated. And this time we're seeing it in the stories. Usually we see it in the prophecies that are given, and we're going to get to that in Daniel 7, next class. But what we're seeing here is a concept of repeating and large in the stories. Daniel 3, Daniel 5, Daniel 6. They're painting pictures that is giving us a complete whole. How does Babylon fall? How's the gospel going to go to the whole world? And what sort of character we ought to have before the time of trouble. So they're building upon one upon another. And they're all showing different aspects, but yet they're all interrelated to the same event. Close of probation, Sunday law. Time of trouble. And so, as you study these stories, I want to recommend that you go back and read these chapters again in your own time. Because there's certainly a lot more that we can learn. But the applications that we make are all personal. And you'll find things there that you may need to change in your lives. And I pray by God's grace that you'll do it. Don't hold off. Or else this study of the book of Daniel has become useless to you. And there's not going to be any revival in your life at all. But next class we'll be looking at Daniel 7. And before that class comes, I want you all to read Daniel 7 through. Okay? And so that you'll have an understanding and an outline of the chapter. It's, we're now looking at more prophet, prophecy, prophetic interpretation, other than just stories. But that's Daniel 6, and why don't we go ahead and kneel for a word of prayer and close. Father in heaven, thank you for, for giving us this story especially the story of Daniel, that the time that he went through in the lion's den. Lord, help us not to think about the time in the future that will come. But I pray that today, while it's yet peace, that you solidify in our hearts and our minds the commitment that we have towards you. And Lord, what we ought to be doing to prepare ourselves for the future. But yet, Father, you've told us that you would give us courage in that time 
when the plagues begin to fall, when men are persecuting us. But I pray that in our hearts that we would not be turned from to the left or to the right, but that we would have our eyes focused upon Jesus at all times. Prepare us for that time in the future. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.